Section 9 of The Rover, Volume 1, Number 21. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Rover, Volume 1, Number 21, edited by Seba Smith and Lawrence Labrie. Section 9. First Minister from the United States to Great Britain. The following narrative will be interesting to those of our readers who have not met with it. The introduction of the First Minister from the rebel colonies to the court of the mother country was a scene worth a voyage across the Atlantic to witness. In June 1785, John Adams, the First Minister plenipotentiary from the United States to the court of London, had his introductory audience with king george the third an event so extraordinary with circumstances so novel to us in america led mr adams to narrate the particulars in a letter to an intimate friend which was kept private until after his death it was thus at one o'clock on wednesday the first of june the master of ceremonies called at my house and went with me to the secretary of state's office in cleveland row where the marquis of carmarthen received me and introduced me to mr frazier his under-secretary who had been as his lordship said uninterruptedly in that office through all the changes of administration for thirty years having first been appointed by the earl of holderness after a short conversation upon the subject of importing my effects from holland which mr frazier himself introduced lord carmarthen invited me to go with him in his coach to court when we arrived in the antechamber the master of the ceremonies introduced him and attended me while the secretary of state went to take the commands of the king while i stood in this place where it seems all ministers stand upon such occasions always attended by the master of ceremonies the room was very full of ministers of state bishops and all other sorts of courtiers as well as the next room which is the king's bedchamber you may well suppose i was the focus of all eyes i was relieved however from the embarrassment of it by the swedish and dutch ministers who came to me and entertained me with a very agreeable conversation during the whole time some other gentlemen who i had seen before came to make their compliments too until the marquis of carmarthen returned and desired me to go with him to his majesty i went with his lordship through the levee room into the king's closet the door was shut and i was left with his majesty and the secretary of state alone i made the three reverences one at the door another about half way and another before the presence according to the usage established at this and all the northern courts of europe and then i addressed myself to his majesty in the following words sire the united states have appointed me minister plenipotentiary to your majesty and have directed me to deliver to your majesty this letter which contains the evidence of it 
it is in obedience to their express commands that i have the honour to assure your majesty of their unanimous disposition and desire to cultivate the most friendly and liberal intercourses between your majesty's subjects and their citizens and of their best wishes for your majesty's health and happiness and for that of your family the appointment of a minister from the united states to your majesty's court will form an epoch in the history of england and america i think myself more fortunate than all my fellow-citizens in having the distinguished honour to be the first to stand in your majesty's royal presence in a diplomatic character and i shall esteem myself the happiest of men if i can be instrumental in recommending my country more and more to your majesty's royal benevolence and of restoring an entire esteem confidence and affection or in better words the good old nature and the good old humour between people who though separated by an ocean and under different governments have the same language a similar religion and kindred blood i beg your majesty's permission to add that although i have sometimes before been instructed by my country it was never in my whole life in a manner so agreeable to myself the king listened to every word i said with dignity it is true but with apparent emotion whether it was my visible agitation for i felt more than i could express that touched him i cannot say but he was much affected and answered me with more tremor than i had spoken with and said sir the circumstances of this audience are so extraordinary the language you have now held is so extremely proper and the feelings you have discovered so justly adapted to the occasion that i must say that i not only receive with pleasure the assurance of the friendly disposition of the united states but that i am glad the choice has fallen upon you to be their minister i wish you sir to believe and that it may be understood in america that i have done nothing in the late contest but what i thought myself indispensably bound to do by the duty which i owed to my people i will be frank with you i was the last to conform to the separation but the separation having been made and having become inevitable i have always said as i now say that i would be the first to meet the friendship of the united states as an independent power the moment i see such sentiments and language as yours prevail and a disposition to give this country the preference that moment i shall say let the circumstances of language religion and blood have their natural and full effect i dare not say these were the king's precise words and it is even possible that i may have in some particulars mistaken his meaning for though his pronunciation is as distinct as i have ever heard he hesitated sometimes between members of the same period he was indeed much affected and i was not less so and therefore i cannot be certain that i was so attentive heard so clearly and understood so perfectly as to be confident of all his words or sense 
and i think that all which he said to me should at present be kept secret in america except his majesty or his secretary of state should judge proper to report it this i do say that the foregoing is his majesty's meaning as i then understood it and his own words as nearly as i can recollect them the king then asked me whether i came last from france and upon my answering in the affirmative he put on an air of familiarity and smiling or rather laughing said there is an opinion among some people that you are not the most attached of all your countrymen to the manners of france i was surprised at this because i thought it an indiscretion and a descent from his dignity i was a little embarrassed but determined not to deny the truth on the one hand nor lead him to infer from it any attachment to england on the other i threw off as much gravity as i could and assuming an air of gaiety and a tone of decision as far as was decent and said that opinion sir is not mistaken i must avow to your majesty i have no attachment but to my own country the king replied as quick as lightning an honest man will never have any other the king then said a word or two to the secretary of state which being between them i did not hear and then turned round and bowed to me as is customary with all kings and princes when they give the signal to retire i retreated stepping backwards as is the etiquette and making my last reverence at the door of the chamber i went away the master of the ceremonies joined me at the moment of my coming out of the king's closet and accompanied me through all the apartments down to my carriage End of section 9 Recording by Alan Mapstone